It's the best part of throwing complete curveballs at you, my listeners, and doing things like totally changing up our format. So, yeah, if you don't like it, skip the episode or, I don't know, email me and gripe me out that you didn't want to learn history today. You know what? I could have been an awesome history teacher, and shout out to my middle school and high school history teachers who helped radicalize me and helped teach me the proper way to research historical stuff. Speaking of, there's not a lot of original research in today's topic because of things we will get into momentarily. But first off, we should probably introduce the show. I am C-Dubs, and this is Red Leg Revolution. And today we are going to, like I said, throw a little curveball, and we're going to be talking mainly history. Not so much what's going on today in the world, but if you... I mean, it's that famous George Sadanea quote where those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. And I think this particular bit of history is, well, being repeated in very certain ways. So today we are going to talk about the bleeding Kansas period of my state's history. And we're going to do that because I actually recorded a great conversation that was going to end up being two episodes about the history of pride and the necessity of pride, given that it is Pride Month with a couple of awesome friends of mine. But unfortunately, one of the key components in my ability to record phone calls broke when we were doing that recording. And we had to try to utilize a different method, which included me not being at my professional grade microphone. So while their vocals are incredibly amazing, my vocals are completely unlistenable and I'm, I've hit a level of my professionalism where I don't want to mess around with releasing shitty audio. So I had to throw together a script real quick and I'm hoping to get back together with those two guests here in the next week or so. So we can try to record that one more time in person this time because I still have the complete person rig. And we will hopefully get that show up by the end of the month. So I had to last minute write a script. And first off, I was like, well, what subject haven't I talked about that I can pretty much talk about without any real prompting? And so I settled on Bleeding Kansas, which has been a fascination of mine since sixth grade. My very first research paper required by school was about Bleeding Kansas, particularly Quantrill's Raid on Lawrence, which incidentally isn't something that I'm going to get into in this script. If I ever do an episode about William Quantrill and his second sacking of Lawrence, um, it'll probably be a whole episode. I may do a juxtaposition of him versus someone like John Brown or um, Loving. No, that's 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 the cattle drive guy. Love Joy, there we go, who was an abolitionist who provided back-end support to the fight against slavery in Kansas. So I have a few notes about this script. Number one, it doesn't really cite any resources but some resources that I have already used to study this subject include the wonderful articles on the Kansas State Wikipedia. 
your state probably has a Wikipedia, like not a page on Wikipedia, but a historical Wikipedia just for your local state. So if you want to know all the weird facts about it, I suggest checking it out. And for us, it's Kansasopedia. I also know a bit about particularly John Brown from Frederick Douglass's awesome book, The Biography of John Brown. And Douglas was a friend and contemporary of Old Man Brown, and I think did a real good job writing up his his life in a very readable narrative structure. So you can probably find that PDF completely free online, and if you've got some downtime and want to learn about Bleeding Kansas and John Brown's fight to abolish slavery, I highly recommend that book. So the main reason that I don't have many sources for this episode is this script is the first one that I used uh, ChatGPT to kind of help me organize my thoughts. Normally, I'm not a big fan of doing that. I think part of the reason that y'all tune into this show is to get my unique spin on on whatever, and obviously ChatGPT isn't going to do that for me. That being said, <laughs> I needed to write a script very quickly, and I needed to get this recorded and out, so we are utilizing tools that I have at my disposal, but this will not be an actual like regular thing for me. I do have one other episode written about gun control that was written by ChatGPT, and I'm looking forward to doing that episode with Comrade Joe because it will prompt not only a discussion about gun control, but I also really want to get into the ethics of AI and all that with them. And that'll be a fun, funny episode because I haven't read the script. I just prompted it and saved it and we are going to read it and be either impressed or disgusted by how ChatGPT puts everything together. So, goddamn, that was a long intro to get to where we're at, but I guess we should go ahead and jump into the script I wrote. So again, if it sounds weird, that's why, ChatGPT. So I went ahead and prompted this... Um, AI with an anarchist perspective of Bleeding Kansas as well as various other prompts to get the script written. So let's get right into it. In the years leading up to the Civil War, the state of Kansas became a battleground for opposing views on slavery and abolition in the United States. The conflict, famously known as Bleeding Kansas, was a precursor to the Civil War and was marked by violence, corruption, and political manipulation. From an anarchist perspective, the conflict in Kansas demonstrates how the state and its institutions created and perpetrated oppression and how people's resistance can bring about transformative change. So before we talk about Bleeding Kansas, we need to go back about 30 years because all this started with the Missouri Compromise. Since the Territory of Missouri was established in 1820, the debate over slavery intensified. The government's role in Missouri's establishment of slavery has been debated by scholars over the decades. According to scholars such as M.A. Krugler, the Missouri Compromise of 1820, which permitted slavery in Missouri, was primarily motivated by economic and political factors. Meanwhile, Mason, a historian, argues the government implementation of slave laws was influenced by societal attitudes and beliefs about race. 
The Missouri Compromise was a legislative agreement between pro-slavery and anti-slavery factions in the United States Congress, which diffused the conflict over the expansion of slavery into the Western territories. The compromise was reached in 1820 and included the admission of Missouri as a slave state and Maine as a free state. The prohibition of slavery in the remainder of the Louisiana Purchase, north of the 36 degree 30 parallel, and the creation of mechanisms for resolving future disputes over slavery in the territories. The Missouri Compromise was a temporary solution to the issues of slavery in the United States. It did not address the underlying moral and political issues of slavery, and it only served to postpone the inevitable conflict over slavery. The Compromise was eventually repealed by the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854, which reopened the question of slavery in the territories and led to the American Civil War. The Missouri Compromise was the result of a long-running dispute over the expansion of slavery into the Western territories. The Louisiana Purchase of 1803 had doubled the size of the United States, and the question of whether slavery would be allowed in the new territories was a major issue in American politics. In 1819, the Missouri Territory applied for statehood. The Territory's proposed constitution allowed slavery, and this led to a fierce debate in Congress. Northerners opposed the admission of Missouri as a slave state, while Southerners argued the people of Missouri had the right to decide for themselves whether or not to allow chattel slavery. The Missouri Compromise was a compromise between the two sides. It admitted Missouri as a slave state and Maine as a free state, which maintained the balance of power in the Senate. The Missouri Compromise was a controversial measure, and it was opposed by both abolitionists and pro-slavery extremists. However, it was supported by most of the American public and was eventually approved by Congress. The Missouri Compromise of 1820 was a crucial moment in history that reflected the polarizing views of slavery in the United States. Abolitionists who were morally opposed to slavery criticized the uh, compromise on the grounds that it allowed expansion of slavery into new territories, perpetuating the inhumane institution. Abolitionists, God, wouldn't it be funny if that was how it was pronounced? Anyway, abolitionist voices such as William Lloyd Garrison, Harriet Beecher Stowe, and Frederick Douglass expressed their opposition to the Missouri Compromise through letters, speeches, and essays, emphasizing the fundamental immorality and injustice of slavery. In their view, the Missouri Compromise was a clear violation of the fundamental principles upon which the United States was founded, equality, liberty, and justice for all. Abolitionists believe that the Compromise did not not promote the cause of freedom and equality, but rather gave way to the expansion of slavery, perpetrating the injustice and oppression of enslaved individuals. They argued that slavery went against the very nature of humanity, and that the United States could not be a truly great nation as long as it continued to hold on to this inhumane institution. The issue of the issue of slavery in Kansas quickly became a national flashpoint, with pro-slavery Missourians pouring into Kansas to affect the outcome of territorial elections. These border ruffians engaged in violent attacks against abolitionist settlers, effectively hijacking the democratic process by controlling the polls. The abolitionists, on the other hand, organized armed groups to defend themselves in retaliation. The Kansas territorial election of 1854 through 1857, also known as Bleeding Kansas, were plagued by ballot stuffing and voter intimidation. These tactics were predominantly used by pro-slavery groups to ensure their candidates would win elections and maintain control of the territory. For instance, according to a report by John Sherman, a representative from Ohio, pro-slavery 
border ruffians crossed the border from Missouri and fraudulently voted in Kansas elections, sometimes even voting multiple times. A rough timeline of the bleeding Kansas period and the run-up to the Civil War helps illustrate the degeneration of society in the new frontier. So, in 1854, the Kansas-Nebraska Act is passed, allowing for popular sovereignty in the newly created Kansas Territory. This means that the settlers themselves would decide whether the territory would be a free state or a slave state. In 1855, pro-slavery and anti-slavery settlers begin to pour into Kansas, each side hoping to sway the outcome of the vote. Violence erupts shortly afterwards between the two groups. In 1856, the violence in Kansas escalates. Pro-slavery forces sack the town of Lawrence for the first time, while anti-slavery forces led by John Brown massacred five pro-slavery settlers at Pottawatomie Creek as retribution for the sacking of Lawrence. Let's take a break from that timeline for a minute and talk a bit about John Brown. But before we do that, because again, that first, that was a six minute intro and that's really, really long for me. And now it's time for commercials. So I never knew the man, but I kind of just assumed that John Brown would endorse these awesome groups that and businesses that I work with. And for my plug today, I am going to plug being like John Brown and going out into the world and redacted because I'm pretty sure Frank, my FBI agent, is listening to this. So redacted is the keyword. All right, let's do some ads and we will be right back. Hey y'all, capitalism sucks, but Benavie Farms and Nursery is part of my community. Benavie Farms and Nursery is Kansas City's local sustainable nursery whose main focus is saving our little buzzing comrades, the bees. Bees are a primary pollinator for the world's food supply, and their species are declining at a rapid pace due to destruction of their native habitats. Benavie Farms and Nursery realize the importance of not only growing your own food, but also saving the bees. At Benavie Farms, they specialize in perennials, pollinators, and produce, so you can support a community initiative, plant a garden, and save the bees all at the same time. We talk a lot about food security on my show, and the first step is growing your own food for yourself and your community, and you can do that while saving our pollinators. The staff at Benavie Farms are knowledgeable, friendly, helpful, and inclusive, and can't wait to help you start or expand your garden this spring. To learn more about a sustainable no-till urban farm, go to benaviefarms.com or find Benavie Farms on Facebook. Bob was just a normal suburban guy trying to make ends meet until one day everything began to change. I guess I'll log into Facebook. Hmm, that looks like a fun main page. It came for him without warning. He had no idea what dwells deep in the swamps. Hey, they also just give away seeds and stickers. It had him hooked, and he didn't even realize it. Well, produce is getting expensive, and I've always thought about starting a garden. The beast from Florida is coming with one goal. Hey, and I could give the extra vegetables away too. Anarchy. Well, maybe it's just best best if we all help each other. Coming to a post office box near you. The Skunk Ape Liberation Union. A 
I just got my hours cut again? How can I pay my bills? Yeah, it sucks, especially since they only pay us minimum wage. But what can we do? Solidarity Man. That's right, fellow workers. It is I, Solidarity Man, champion of the working class, and it sounds like you need a union. A union? That's right. What power on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one? So a union makes us strong? That's right. Alone, you can do little to change your situation, but together you can move mountains, and the industrial workers of the world are here to help. Huh? The IWW is a union for all workers, no matter the trade, job, or career, and we want to organize your workplace. Wow. Where can we find the IWW? In your hometown. The IWW has branches all over the world. Check out IWW.org to find your local membership board or join as an at-large member and start your own chapter. After all, our greatest superpower is working together. I must go. I hear another exploited worker calling for help. But remember, the working class and the employing class have nothing in common. Away! So we are back and we are talking about one of my personal heroes. He is in the pantheon of my divine guidance people and also was batshit insane if we are being honest, but he had the right kind of insanity. There's an old saying that says those who are crazy enough to think they can change the world oftentimes do. And I think John Brown is a great example of that, which is why he's my hero. Also, he is one of the biggest martyrs in the fight to end slavery, notwithstanding all the chattel slaves who were fighting back on the plantation, whether it be through sabotage or learning to read and sharing that skill or helping build their community so that when they were finally freed, they would have something to go off of. So let's talk more about John Brown, all right? So John Brown was born in Connecticut in 1800. He was a devout Christian and a strong believer in the equality of all people. He became an abolitionist in the 1830s and began to speak out against slavery. In 1854, he moved to Kansas to be with his sons, where he became involved in the fight for Kansas to become a free state. So the Potawatomi massacre took place in Kansas when Brown and his men murdered five pro-slavery settlers some being hacked to death with swords. <laughs> How's that for based? The massacre was a retaliation for the first sacking of Lawrence, Kansas by pro-slavery forces a few days earlier. The Potawatomi massacre was a turning point in the bleeding Kansas conflict. It helped to galvanize the abolitionist movement and contributed to the outbreak of the Civil War. Brown's motivation for the massacre are still debated today. Some historians believe that he was motivated by a desire for revenge, while others believe that he was motivated by a belief that it was necessary to use violence to end slavery. I'm no professional historian. I'm just a stoner who likes to read history books, so I, what I have to say is not coming from a place of someone who does this professionally, but personally after reading not only Douglas's biography of Brown, but a few other biographies of John Brown as well as just living in Lawrence and him being a part of our cultural heritage. I tend to think that he was on the more radical end. It wasn't just a revenge killing. It was, he knew as Harper's Ferry would show us that the, the civil war wouldn't happen without somebody being a catalyst. And John Brown was like, I got you fam. So 
Old Man Brown would play numerous pivotal roles in the lead-up to the Civil War. One can even make a case that without John Brown, the Civil War wouldn't have happened, or if it still did happen, it would have taken years longer for the Civil War to come about. Brown was that catalyst. So back to our timeline. 1857. The pro-slavery Lecompton Constitution is drafted, but it's rejected by Congress. 1858. Abraham Lincoln is elected as president and further inflames the tensions in Kansas. In 1859, John Brown led a raid on Harper's Ferry, Virginia, in an attempt to start a slave revolt. He is captured and executed. So some fun facts about the Harper's Ferry raid was, like I just said, it wasn't supposed to be this, like, one-off act of protest. No, John Brown explicit goal was to start a slave rebellion and the reason he picked harper's ferry was because it was an armory that was relatively centrally located so he could get weapons out to slaves and help them bring about their own liberation and on that subject he also had a black man on the on the strike team so to speak and I am not sure what his name was because, again, I'm a hack and a fraud and let AI write this script. And also, the last cool fact about the raid on Harper's Ferry was he planned it and Frederick Douglass was like, bruh, that's a bad idea. It's not going to end well. Meanwhile, Harriet Tubman, mad respect for the general, uh, also up in my in my top tier of personal heroes. But Harriet Tubman was like, yo, I'll go on that raid with you. Let's make this shit happen. But then unfortunately she got sick and was not able to go, which is probably a good thing. Harriet Tubman did not deserve to die in Harper's Ferry and actually led a raid in the Civil War to go liberate some slaves and they fucked shit up. So that's pretty cool. So, John Brown's uh, John Brown left a letter before his execution that said, quote, I, John Brown, am now quite certain that the crimes of this guilty land will never be purged away but with blood. I had vainly flattered myself that without very much bloodshed, it might be done. End quote. That's one of those quotes that every time I say it out loud, I, I get shivers, because he was right. It wouldn't have come about without John Brown and his violent actions. There is a slight possibility that it would have played itself out as we got into the 20th century and got various technologies that made certain jobs that slaves did completely obsolete. But I firmly believe that if that had happened, we would still have slaves doing bullshit like working fast food instead of the cotton fields. So, finally, in 1861, Kansas entered the Union as a free state, ending the bleeding Kansas period and moving the middle of the map to their part in the Civil War, fighting renegade rebel units from Missouri. The most infamous example of voter intimidation during bleeding Kansas territorial elections was the sacking of Lawrence, an abolition stronghold by pro-slavery forces in 1856. Additionally, the pro-slavery government of Kansas drafted the Lecompton Constitution, which ensured the protection of slavery within the territory, even though the majority of Kansas citizens were abolitionists. The Constitution was highly controversial and widely regarded as illegitimate, leading to a political crisis and eventually the collapse of the pro-slavery government in Kansas. 
The legitimacy of the Kansas territorial government was highly contested, with pro-slavery and anti-slavery factions each claiming their candidate was the true representative of the people. Many anti-slavery supporters boycotted the government and refused to recognize its authority, further undermining its legitimacy. Ultimately, the conflict in Kansas played a critical role in the lead-up to the Civil War and underscored the deep division between the North and South over the issues of slavery. One of the groups, paramilitary groups, led by abolitionist John Brown and his sons, became known as the Jayhawks and the Osawatomie Avengers, as well as Redlegs. You might recognize that term, right? I mean, what's the name of the show? And if you didn't listen to my very first episode where we briefly went over this history, that is what inspired the name of this show. Well, that in the video game Red Dead Redemption, because that sounded like an awesome way to play on those words. And I'm still holding out that someday we get a Red, Red Dead Revolution where, you know, you're playing as somebody in a revolution, probably in Mexico, because, you know, during that historical period, there were revolutions left and right in Mexico. So, they acquired weapons that were later called Beecher's Bibles after the famous abolitionist preacher Henry Ward Beecher, who raised funds to arm the settlers. Legend says that the rifles, to stop any bushwhackers from stealing them, were shipped by Beecher in crates marked as Bibles. Brown's tactics were violent. His group famously killed five pro-slaveries in what we just talked about, the Potawatomi Massacre. The violence escalated even further when pro-slavery forces sacked the town of Lawrence, destroying homes and printing presses. The conflict continued to escalate with both sides committing further acts of violence against one another, including the bushwhackers burning Osawatomie, Kansas in 1856. From, a, from my anarchist perspective, the situation in Kansas demonstrates the inherent flaws of the state and its institutions. The territorial government, which was appointed by the federal government, was biased toward pro-slavery forces who had come from neighboring Missouri. This allowed the border ruffians to engage in violent attacks without consequence and made it difficult for abolitionists to gain a foothold in the democratic process. Furthermore, the federal government's effort to impose its will on Kansas created tension and heightened conflict, as demonstrated by the actions of the Red Legs and other abolitionist groups. These groups were fighting not only for the abolition of slavery, but against the state's imposition of its will upon them via federal laws like the Dred Scott Act. Incidentally, this was the same justification the South used, but the difference is in what they were fighting for, and that is a big difference and means a lot. So, in no way am I supporting the lost cause narrative and the belief that it was over states' rights, and whenever somebody brings that up, I'm just like, states' rights to what? What exactly? Please tell me what rights exactly were the southern states trying to enshrine, because I'm pretty sure it was the right to own other people, which would make it an issue about slavery. So... The Bleeding Kansas conflict provided valuable insight into how state institutions can perpetrate oppression, how individual and collective action can bring about transformative change. From an anarchist perspective, the conflict serves as a reminder of the importance of resisting oppressive structures and the power of individuals and, collection and collective agency in shaping society. The Bleeding Kansas period shows us that we can, by individual actions, change the course of society, the state, and history itself. 
do with that what you will in a world of wage slavery, oppression of minorities, and how the two go together to make more African Americans in the penal system than there were slaves in the antebellum South at its height. Take cues from preacher John Brown. Be radical, stalwart in your morals, and fight for the oppressed community. Old Man Brown knew that our only hope is each other. So, instead of closing out with the usual theme, I'm going to go ahead and play a Creative Commons old folk song, which you may very well recognize the tune, if not the words. The song is John Brown's Body, and it would eventually evolve into what we know as the Battle Hymn of the Republic, which was the Union's rallying song during the Civil War. But before we get to this old Creative Commons, I cannot stress that enough. Don't send me a cease and desist for using this song. Not that I think John Brown would have given two shits. I digress. But before we do that, let me go ahead and do our plugs. So you can find us Red Leg Revolution on Facebook, Red Leg Pod on Twitter, and I have a Reddit and a YouTube and shit, but there's not much there. So just hit me up on Facebook or Twitter. And as usual, like, subscribe, share on whatever podcasting platform that you use. And tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your congressman, tell the FBI agent documenting your shit. I mean, I'm sure Frank would love to have some company listening to this podcast. And, you know, help me grow this because the more that the more people that hear my message, I, I personally like to think it's a pretty good message. So it's good if more people hear that. So, yeah, that is today's episode. I hope you all enjoy it. It's damn near a mini episode, but it looks like I'm going to be right at a half hour. So it's technically a full episode. And like I said, I really hope to have a couple episodes about the history of pride. And honestly, since my um, recording fucked up and I've got some time to expand on that script, it may end up being a three to four uh, episode thing as we get a little bit into stuff like transgender rights and stuff like that. So, yeah, thanks for listening. And I am out. Here is John Brown's body. Oh, John Brown's body lies moaning in the grave I weep the sons of bondage whom he ventured out to save And though he lost his life in his struggle to free the slaves His truth is marching on John Brown's body lies moaning in the grave John Brown's body lies molding in the grave. John Brown's body lies molding in the grave, but his truth still marches on. John Brown was a hero, undaunted, true, and brave. Kansas knew his valor when he fought her rights to save. And now, though the grass grows green above his grave, his truth still marches on. John Brown's body lies molding in the grave. John Brown's body lies molding in the grave. John Brown's body lies molding in the grave, but his truth still.
He captured Harper's Ferry with his 19 men so few And he frightened over Jenny till she trembled through and through They hung him for a traitor, themselves a traitorous crew But his truth still marches on He's gone to be a soldier in the army of the Lord He's gone to be a soldier in the army of the Lord He's gone to be a soldier in the army of the Lord And his truth still marches on John Brown was John the Baptist For the Christ we are to see Christ of whom the bondsman shall the liberator be And soon throughout the sunny south The slaves were all set free And his truth went marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah His truth went marching on The conflict that he heralded He looks down from heaven to view On the army of the Union With its flag red, white, and blue And heaven shall ring with anthems Or the deeds they mean to do For his truth still marches on Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah His truth still marches on O soldiers of freedom Then strike while strike you may The death blow of oppression For a better time and way For the dawn of old John Brown Has brightened us today And his truth is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah His truth still marches on He's gone to be a soldier In the army of the Lord He's gone to be a soldier In the army of the Lord He's gone to be a soldier In the army of the Lord And his truth still marches on Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah His truth still marches on This has been a production of 419 Media.